Hey guys, this is another episode here. Today's November the 15th, 2020. And today I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I noticed that's happening in the news with post-election and how it relates to business and some of the lessons that might be taken as a business owner, leader, or an entrepreneur. And we're living through a very historic time through the presidential elections and there's just a good series of events and a lot of opportunities and missed opportunities that we see both sides, the red and the blue party, where they're making big moves and they're missing big opportunities at the same time. And so I wanted to give just a brief rundown in terms of my assessment of how I see the overall political situation and how this might apply to business in general. And one would be specifically in terms of lessons from a leadership perspective. So leadership lessons of what can be learned from the presidential election. So number one would be that the key tip there I'd say would be no matter how accomplished one person or how good a person is in their particular skill set or experience or what they've done, that if other people perceive them to be unfavorable, unlikely, or they see them as someone that they just don't like as a person for whatever reason, then that will then essentially discredit the overall accomplishments that that person had made throughout their term or their life or career. And just based on that alone, if someone, no matter how good you are, if people don't like you for whatever reason, they will discount and not even care about all that's been done. So the lesson there is simply to be an amazing leader, first and foremost, have to be an exceptional individual as a human being, first and foremost. That means principle-centered, be integrity, do the right things for the right reasons, and just be a good person that people like. You have to be likable, first and foremost. Second quality of being a great leader, foundational, would be essentially being accomplished as a professional, as a business leader, or as a entrepreneur. You have to have accomplishments in terms of what you can offer, what you can bring to the table, whether it's going to be insight, solutions, accomplishments, development of a product or a new way of doing a certain situation for an industry. You have to have something to show for it. And so that's the second thing, of course. And then the third thing is built on top of the first and second would be essentially to know how to be able to develop the best and bring out the best in other people, simply. How do you empower other people to bring out the best in themselves? And that would be a couple different ways. That means really to put yourself in their shoes to really not be the person that says do this, do that, and demand or commend them but really just to show them, inform them, inspire them, and motivate them, and help them to really see a bigger opportunity, a bigger perspective beyond that particular situation. So in a nutshell, simply one is you have to be a good person first and foremost. People have to like you. Number two is to do something well, quantify, accomplish your, summarize your accomplishments, you have to be able to accomplish something as a business owner or an entrepreneur. And number three is apply number one and two, and really to think of leadership as not only being a leader by example, but also 
empowering other people and converting other people into becoming leaders themselves. So that means really to take them under your wings and to inform them, believe in them, trust in them, motivate them, empower them, and support them. And by a leader helping to develop other leaders, that is one of the ways of enabling greatness in terms of that particular organization, that particular cause, is really uplifting everyone else on your team, your company. So it's not about you being on top and telling them to do certain things and follow your direction. It's really more of being right there beside them and helping them to grow together. So if it's a very simple example of that would be to give a very simple analogy would be instead of telling them to do task A, B, and C, do it with them, have discussions with them, help them, support them, and think of it as both you and them being in the same type of, being in the same boat, basically, trying to work towards a common objective, right? So think about it from that perspective, and really try to see about ways you can be able to simply ask. I've noticed a big difference is, and fourth tip would be to find ways to be able to ask other people to do certain things instead of telling. So instead of saying, Mr. Jones, for example, do X, Y, and Z, that's a direct command. Ask him, Mr. Jones, given this other project, what do you think about doing project A or B by this date here because of this client? Ask him, get their input. Once they have their input and you agree upon that, you've made him part of that request, you've made him part of that opportunity, so they feel more obligated to want to do so because they've essentially contributed towards the idea, right? So that's the idea, is let them, is ask them about what they think, get their input, instead of telling them or giving them ultimatums. And so those are the four tips there. Now, another part as it relates back to the election, I saw that essentially a lot of very unfavorable exchanges of communication and bantering was going on from both sides of the political parties. And I thought simply that the red state or the Republicans could have simply easily discounted the blue state's arguments and their position if they would have simply stopped the bantering, the name-calling, and really to listen to what they had to say, their policy, their arguments, and really say, okay, you know what, based on the 15 things that you've mentioned, the five ideas, for example, that they had proposed, give the position and keep an open mind in saying, okay, you know what, we're all trying to do good for the country. Why don't I acknowledge and I understand and I accept three out of your five policies, take the strength out of their whole argument and saying, you know what, we're happy to adopt those policies that you recommended. And be flexible that way instead of being rigid and saying it's my way or our political party's position and we're not going to, we're going to refute and reject the other sides completely. Take advice from the opposing party keep an open mind and then the part that can be effectively be in a position to put themselves in a better position overall would be saying republicans i look to the democrat and saying okay you know what your argument is x y and z that makes sense to some degree with an exception we're happy to adopt that and then the argument there can simply be okay based upon the five or ten different policies that you're introducing we're going to adopt the five because we're going to modify our approach. So we're going to be doing what you're already 
proposing to do, but we have four years ahead of you in terms of experience in the White House. That's all they really had to do because they could say, we'll keep what we're going to be doing, but we're taking the strength and the, the key points of their argument, but we're already going to be able to adopt it instead of the, the blue state having to say, okay, we're going to implement XYZ policy and go through the whole process and start all over again. So that's something that I thought the, the red state or the Republicans should have thought about doing is to give credit to the Democrats in terms of what they can really, what they're offering, what they're saying, and not be so adversarial or being, think of them as more of an enemy. Taking the best of what Democrats have to say, adopt it, agree upon that, and then tell the American people that we're going to take the best of what the Democratic Party is going to be able to offer, plus the strength of what the Republicans have to offer in terms of the strength and accomplishments that, we've, that they've been able to, to be able to record over the past four years, and say that's why they're the better, better candidate, because they can take the best ideas from both parties, yet they have four years more experience than the Democrats. That's basically, they're going to come into the office and have four years to try to get things right, which is a little bit more challenging, I think, simply because of the fact that you have a new party that's going to be trying to recover and try to fix the, the COVID situation, number one. They're going to try to bring back the economy, number two. They're going to try to strengthen international relations, number three. The economy, if I were to give an example, analogy, the economy is like an airplane. When the airplane is going down, they're trying to fix that airplane as it's going down with a brand new crew and pilot and everyone else. And I just think, isn't that too much of a risk to take such drastic change when the economy and when the, the COVID situation is completely out of hand right now? Or where they want to be able to simply just change their policies instead of making a draconian measure by changing the entire administration at a time that the country is very vulnerable. And so do you really want to change generals in the middle of a war? Because right now, the country's in three different wars. They're in the economic war, they have the healthcare war, and they have the trade wars. And now a possible fourth, which is what they call a kinetic war, which is basically having to do with missiles and airplanes and things of that nature partnering up with Japan and India against China in the South China Sea. So that's been brewing. So does the country really want to be able to switch their generals right in the middle of the war and making themselves vulnerable to other countries and other dictators that might see opportunity? So that's something to really think about there. And in terms of business, I would say the other lesson that you can look at as well is as a leader, as an influencer, as a entrepreneur, that you want to be very careful about the reputation that you develop with your name in the industry, in the perception of your customers and partners. And you never want to do something that's going to disrespect other people. We see that happening. And when you see that happening, when there's a bit of disrespect that's happening to other basically blatant verbal attacks against other parties, other leaders, a person should never do that because that's just basically, that's going to be setting themselves up for a failure, and that's just developing enemies and animosity against you moving forward. And the whole challenge there is becoming basically that where the other party then is going to play defense and find a way to attack them again. So it's a bantering back and forth, and this tussle that goes on for some ongoing period of time becomes very counterproductive, where they're not moving forward, they're not working together, they're working against each other, and it becomes a name-calling badge. So the lesson there is to don't get involved with any of the name-calling and ridiculing and calling out people and 
discounting their arguments. Separate, but instead, as a leader, business owner, separate the point of contention or the argument. Separate that from the person, simply. Don't group them together and call them out on that. Because what that does is just sets up unnecessary arguments back and forth with no resolve. So that's a fourth or fifth point, I'd say, in terms of a lesson from a business standpoint. Another would be also in terms of, I'd say a, f- a sixth point would be as a leader. Now, this is something that presumably related to the U.S. economy and also the COVID situation. A big, I think, mistake perhaps that took place was one of the, the leader, President Trump, did not apparently fully disclose to the American people the severity and the various ways uh, that people can get affected and can be able to to be able to pass away and get disruption. He knew about that apparently early January, February, but the lesson there was it wasn't revealed and shared with the American people. So if there's bad news, no matter how bad it is, the lesson would be you'd want to be able to disclose that and be transparent and timely and honest with the American people and with news outlets because that was simply a situation that no one deserves to go through. It's an external factor that caused the COVID situation, right? Arguably, there's different ways and culprits from that. But when a leader encounters a very horrid situation, it's their responsibility to do the right thing and to be and say what's right for the right reasons. And the American people have a right to know what was what the truth and what the fact of the situation is. Not to downplay it, not to diminish it, and yet alone not to be able to ignore it or think that it's going to be okay when they don't really have that degree of certainty. So what it does when someone behaves like that is it causes distrust because the American people, they're smart. Once they find out after the fact, that's almost like someone that's been cheating or that's dishonest and then they get caught, then it becomes exposed. At that point, what it does is it questions that person's integrity and their honesty and ultimately the trust that they would have in that person. So as the saying goes, suspicion breeds more suspicion. So if they distrust on one particular matter, then they wonder, well, if this person was not revealing something that they should have known about early on, what else are they hiding? So that's never a good situation you want to be in as a leader, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, or even as a manager or employee. You never want to be in that situation. You'd rather be in a situation saying, this is what I'm disclosing, what I know about. Here's the facts. Here's what we think is really happening in the grand scheme of things. Here's going to be our plan. And here are the best options, and we'll keep it posted and on the notable progress. That would be the general, normal, acceptable approach to take, no matter how bad the news is. And people would appreciate that because they're being honest. But you never want to be in a situation where you're saying something that is not true or you're withholding information that other people should be entitled to know. That is just going to be a bad situation moving forward. And so the the sixth lesson that I see overall in terms of the election would be that there's a bit of, when you look in terms of the overall voter count and the, the allegations and what now is becoming more about certain types of fraudulent voter activity or ballots or deceased people 
that are allowed to vote, when you see activities like that taking place, what that does is it questions the overall integrity of the voting system and the purpose of what we're voting, and it really just blanket statements the overall process and the overall system that both parties are really trying to play against. And so it's a bit of a concern that people have to be worried about these type of situations, that people are actually taking actions and taking these dire measures to really force a narrative to basically try to get the Democratic side to be president. And so from a, a business standpoint, I would say, again, don't cheat, play by the rules, but be strategic, be smart. But when you cross the line and do something that's negative, when you do something that's intentional to cheat, to win, that just becomes very divisive and very embarrassing. And it's very insulting, in fact, in terms of people that are voting, hoping that they can vote for a, a democratic system where their vote would be considered equally and they're really relying upon the truth through the news media. But whenever the, the system is rigged that way, it becomes an insult to the overall purpose and the cause and the, the, a lot of the core values and objective of what we're all voting for. So the lesson there is simply to not resort to playing games to that extent. Be savvy, do things for the right reasons, having top talent, but play fair and do it well, but don't try to rig the system. It jeopardizes the reputation of that individual, of that party, of the overall system, not only amongst the voters, but amongst the, the companies, the industries, and other nations and leaders around the world, where they look and they frown upon that. So that becomes an indelible mark where people can look down and say, wow, this is the U.S., and they can't even get their act together with the U.S. election. So that's something where I think that whoever was behind enabling voter fraud and activity, that they should get appropriate reprimand and they should have appropriate policies to prevent such instances. But again, as a leader, as an employee manager, do the right thing for the right reason. Don't play games. Don't put yourselves in a pickle. And that becomes very difficult to recover from a reputation standpoint and your credibility because that goes a long ways. If your reputation is shot, you can't come up with another reputation again with a different profile or name. Maybe as a company, you might be able to, but as an individual, remember, keep unwavering character and integrity and don't get sidetracked by the noise. Keep focused on what the sound is really gonna be and really think about your long-term reputation, be in it for the long game, and don't cut corners and jeopardize your reputation. And so the other part that I would say, the seventh issue that I think is relevant in this case during the elections and also before the elections, and this doesn't always have to do with necessarily with business, but just in general, when you look at the sources and news of information that's been disseminated, that people are listened to, I think there's a bit of a concern in terms of how much information is available to the general public and the censorship and the filtering and the, the narrative and the perspectives that are being shared that it's not equal representation. I, was, I had a call earlier yesterday with one of my clients and we were discussing this very matter and they were saying, 
oh, in their country, outside the U.S., they were saying, so what's going on with the U.S.? Everyone's questioning, thinking, what's going on? The U.S. is a very big, well-established, one of the largest, most successful, richest country in the world. Is this a joke? They couldn't believe what was going on. And so I did simply mention that it was quite unfortunate that this was a reality of what was going on. And simply, the part there would be that because there's so much information, everyone has a certain perspective, and when the viewers and the audience is listening to those news media outlets' information, that there are oftentimes, when I watch some of the news that's being portrayed, that it's intended not to be informative, to educate people in terms of what the key issues are, but really more intended to give them bits and pieces of information that they would need to know about, more intended to grab their attention. It's almost like it's entertainment with a little bit of information blended together instead of factual information. Now, that doesn't mean all the stations out there, I don't mean a blanket statement that at all, but when I see groups, and I won't mention because I don't want to cause any opposition in this regard, but when I see groups that are intentionally trying to create a narrative that's falsifying the facts, that is really giving a perspective on everything that they comment or question or share, blending their opinions and stating their opinions as facts, that what it does is not only is it trying to mislead the American people or the audience, but what that does is, is essentially, I think of it as more of a counterproductive measure in the long run. And I think that there is probably too much, there's a lack of control in terms of the, the discipline and the, the integrity of information that's being shared. And that there should be fact-finding and there should be violations if those, there should be boundaries and rules in place that essentially say if they're misleading the public, giving falsified information that does not get corrected and clarified up front, then they should get penalized for that. Organizations should not be at liberty to say whatever they want and stating the falsifying information and saying that as, as it being truth. Because if you were to apply that in the courtroom setting, say for example a person were to go into the courtroom setting and they're to testify under oath, if they're giving a false testimony and it turns out that's going to be lying, they call that perjury. So why would that be any different? Why the news organizations should be truthful in terms of they call hard facts, and yes, they have the option to be able to share their opinion, but they should simply, one quick way to simply eliminate or mitigate fake news, as President Trump had mentioned, would be simply pass a law, make it illegal for any public figure to state their opinion as facts. And they must clearly give that disclaimer saying that this is the facts, and if they're going to provide their opinion, to say this is my opinion from here on out. They must disclose that so that the American people can be able to determine what's going to be true and they can simply get the cold hard facts and come up with their own conclusions instead of being fed a certain dose of information that's going to create a certain narrative and perspective. I know that's part of the whole purpose, but that's very counterproductive. That's not right. That's actually quite embarrassing. The fact that People have to be reliant upon the information they're getting and that information is not correct. And so that's the first thing is that simply there should be boundaries and laws that'll make it, that'll discourage opinions from being expressed as facts, thereby misleading the general public. And the second thing is, I think there's a lot of information out there and it'd be helpful if there were to be essentially groups that are really going to be straightforward and honest and really work together, pass initiatives for them to really say, 
you know what, why don't we all work together instead of working against each other? And it's sad to see that there's so much opposition, even within a particular political party, let alone both political parties, working against each other instead of working together. That part I hope to see that there would be greater measures and that from an organization, from a business standpoint, would be also the same thing. And sometimes it would be, the lesson there would be, sometimes it would be helpful to see things from the other person's perspective. Or as a, a famous author, Stephen R. Covey, had wrote in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the phrase goes as follows. It's a very simple but a very profound statement, which simply states, seek to understand, then to be understood. And most people, most professionals that I work with and deal with, and that I've seen as well, is most of them, 80% or greater, 80% of the time, they speak in terms of their frame of reference from their perspective and addressing their agenda instead of understanding the other person's agenda or the overall situation first and foremost. Now that changes a whole lot of things because you have two scenario, you have one scenario where you have two different perspectives. One would be, one perspective would be, say they have a different perspective on one project in terms of the approach. So one person could be basically asserting their position, their approach, their best interest. The other party could really be doing the same thing. So unless both parties can really understand each other, that they're both really insisting upon two different approaches for the same objective to win that client project, for example. And so the lesson there is when there's two groups, two people that are really trying to impose their objective, that it takes longer, it becomes less productive and efficient when both parties are really trying to insist or assert their position to the other person, but instead what they might want to do to get a better outcome and result is to simply seek the other person's, not what they're saying, but what do they mean? What's their intention and what's their agenda? And really see the merit of what they're having to say and judge or give credit or give acceptance based on the merit of what they have to say. That means sometimes in my situation, for example, if I'm working with another person on a project I'm not going to only look at my perspective. I have my position. But when I'm engaging in a discussion or a negotiating, negotiation with another party, what I'll tend to do is simply to hear out their situation. What are they thinking about and why? What are their key points? And once I see things from their perspective, I revisit and think, well, why am I correct still? And what that does, it becomes a pretty notable advantage doing that because number one a few different reasons why that's very effective is number one it allows the other person to address their concern their issue their position and by doing that it allows you to really feel that they're being heard and they're feeling that they're given a chance to express their position and their opinion so what that does gets their guards down allows them to be able to speak their position right but more importantly when you hear their position overall you get to see a perspective of that same situation that you may not have thought about before. And so that gives you a big advantage because most people, again, they are looking at it from their perspective, which is only 50%. The other perspective, which is the other 50%, if you can see it from both perspectives, then you really get to see 100% of the overall situation on both sides. Then what that can do is that can also help to strengthen your overall position. That's the key difference, is really to seek the other person's message and what and why first and foremost 
And by doing that, that'll only enhance your argument, your position, your value proposition that you have for a project, a proposal, a new client that you try to onboard, whatever that might be. So again, simply key lesson there is seek to understand their position first and foremost. Acknowledge, give them credit. And secondly, then to be able to address your position and to take it to another level, not only be able to just acknowledge and empathize and hear them out, but to take it to another level would be essentially a strategy approach that would be selling without selling, which is simply take the best of what they're discussing, their position, blend it with facts and third-party credible reference and case studies, add in your position, lead them up to the to provide them the facts, right, the different facts and leading them up to the position where they can come to their own conclusion, but do not try to sell or convince them, but instead give them the path and give them the information and give them the arguments in a neutral manner as if you're a third party that has no vested interest in the overall deal. And by doing that, what that does, it's very powerful because what that does, it's not really seeing that person as an adversary, but you're basically forming, converting an adversarial role into an ally role. And you're playing a third party neutral position. So the power of doing that would be simply, you become more credible because you're not trying to assert your position. Number two is once you stay neutral and you let the other person know that their best arguments are being acknowledged and included with this overall new position, what that does is enables the other party to acknowledge that their position is being heard, so they're more interested, they're agreeing upon that, plus you're validating your position by justifying it with third-party credible sources and references. So it's not coming from you, it's not your idea, but it's the third party, whether it's a research report or a, a notable figure in your industry, by citing those third-party sources, your overall argument becomes more credible and more valid. And the beauty about that approach is simply when the other party realizes it's more of a blended approach with their key arguments, along with a different perspective from a third party, then once they come to that realization that their argument becomes strengthened, then they take greater ownership of their overall position because they were not told that position in terms of trying to be convinced, but they were led, they came to their own conclusion. So when they have ownership of their own position, they're more than likely to be convinced of that position overall, right? So when people come to their own conclusion, they're more than likely to become a firm believer of that overall argument instead of being told by the adversarial person that's saying, you should change your mind because I said so, right? That doesn't work so well. So keeping that in mind when you're negotiating or working things out, or even if you have conflict working things out from another with your coworker or with your partner or with a potential client, typically not with a potential client, but more with your teammates and colleagues, that might be an approach is to really to, again, see things from their perspective, cite third-party reference to justify your arguments and stay neutral. And that becomes more of a way for them to really to want to move forward instead of keeping their position, want to move forward to really more yield towards a more blended approach for them to have greater ownership. So that's a sixth and seventh tip that I would say that you would want to consider. And now 
going into an actual situation that was quite interesting in terms of negotiating. Now, this is going into negotiating not only just the basics, but some of the fundamentals, but in terms of certain things that I found to work well in most situations when you're dealing with another party. Say that you have two different roles. It's going to be a, a, a client and your company, or it's going to be a prospect client or maybe a third-party group that has to work together with your company. So most oftentimes, if it's going to be a buyer or seller, for example, there tends to be more of an adversarial type of role where both parties are trying to get their own best interest, where the supplier or the seller is trying to sell for the highest price, the buyer is trying to buy from the lowest price, and it really becomes this lot of back and forth, and they go through this whole process, and they might meet half, somewhere halfway in between. So instead of doing that, which is fine, that's an okay traditional approach, but if you think about it more of, instead of playing an adversarial role, really take the position and thinking, how can you look beyond that particular transaction and think more long-term? How can you and that other party or group capitalize and leverage by working more effectively together, not working against each other, but working together to really close more deals together, not just on that. So it's not really trying to slice the pie and try to take as much as you can from that particular pie, but you leave some so that it's reasonable and fair so that both parties end up winning, right? So it's really simply, it's taking a non-adversarial approach and really seeing them and converting that relationship into an ally. So instead of an adversary, they become allies. So the argument there would be simply telling them, let's look beyond this particular deal. Tell me what you want. What are the non-negotiables? What's most important for you? Tell me what exactly that is. And then tell me the other areas that you have more flex on, right? And then the other party says, okay, I hear you out. They repeat that. And then the other party repeats back what their non-negotiable, what's most important for them. And so if both parties can accept that they get what's non-negotiable and then they give up what is negotiable, then they're able to be able to work out a happy compromise or at best they can work out a, a more favorable agreement because they were straightforward and honest in terms of what they can and cannot do. Right? So really seeing them as a partner working together instead of working against each other, that usually tends to, fast, to enable a faster close of deals and does also build greater synergy with both parties and enables greater deals to be worked on more effectively and more efficiently probably in about more than half the time so in terms of how soon they're able to close i've seen them we've been able to close on deals probably in about half the time with about a 20 to 30 percent increase in terms of the overall offer that we wanted that's greater than we expected right instead of the traditional adversarial role is to again to try to see them as an ally, not an adversary. That's the key lesson there. And I would also mention is that another part that I found to be problematic in terms of a, a tip that has to do with going back to the, the overall election is that it's something to be learned in terms of how different types of information is really being disseminated and being communicated to people. So you take, for example, this is something I think that would be a positive in terms of how businesses can learn from how the news media and how the election was being handled. And that's by way of communication. The various channels, the media outlets, the various platforms, 
that those are all effective ways to reach out to prospective clients and partners for your company, for your industry. And that means to be plugged in, to leverage the media sources, to leverage the mainstream television news, the podcasts, the marketplaces, the social media platforms, the radio, tap into all of those channels out there to give a voice, to really to express and to share your thoughts and your knowledge, your expertise on whatever that product or service might be, that they do a great job in terms of getting the attention of people. And in business, no matter how important or how big or how small your product might be, you need to get people's attention. You have to essentially understand the importance of, of marketing. And marketing is really going to be about letting people know about your product or service and why they should want to learn more information, why they should work with you. That's the very first step is grabbing their attention. And then after that would be then developing an interest and then they become more intrigued and then they look to see what the value proposition is and what, what the return on investment is going to be and benefit and all that kind of stuff later. Then once they become happy, then they go through and they start being able to refer you to other clients. So the lesson there, of course, is look at how much publicity and all the various ways that news media was able to disseminate information and to pass that along to the American public. Whether it's going to be headlines on a newspaper, a social media tweet, look at all the ways and really study and dissect it and see how are they able to convey a message so quickly that's so compelling, right? And leverage those same channels, except use those same channels and platforms for your company and really use that as a way to basically grow that base in terms of prospect clients and partners, except you develop the content for your company and what you're offering and do that for the industry. Do that for the industry. And that would mean to educate the partners and clients, future clients also, in terms of what they must know, what they must do, right? Through radio, television, do webinars, do YouTube videos, whatever's most appropriate. Find out where the core in terms of where the core customers or prospects would be a part of, what kind of organizations, what kind of media outlets, and then be a guest speaker, be able to get plugged in, collaborate with that platform, that organization, to really set, get your message out there. That's going to be very important because a lot of, I know a lot of firms that offer a tremendous product or service, but people don't simply know that they exist and they might resort to or they might typically bank on referrals, which are fine. Referrals are great because you basically get more credibility and then you basically, it grows incrementally that way. But the faster way of growing, I think, in my humble opinion, is not only by word of mouth, which is great, that's incremental growth, but to exponentially grow, to scale rapid growth, would be simply strategic alliances with other organizations, groups that have a significant influential targeted following already of prospects that you're looking to tap into. So collaborate with a group that already has, say, a large number of companies, of thought leaders that are part of that organization, and they're having a conference or they're having a forum or they're having a meeting of some sort. Be part of that. Get the word out there. And when you have those type of opportunities, those platforms to convey your message, to use that as an opportunity really just to convey and to have a, a sincere, effective, compelling, valid proposition in terms of simply just to inform and empower and really give them the kind of credible information that they need to know and that things that they must do and really think about it as if this is information that your parents would need to know, what would you want to convey to your parents? 
right? It's literally to that point where you're looking out for their best interest. And you're not trying to sell, don't try to convince people and say, go to my website, buy a product XYZ. That's not the opportunity to do so. It's really come across first as delivering compelling content and informing them of things that they must know and things that they, sh- they might want to consider doing. And what that does, that plants the seed. It's very effective that way because what it does is it helps to grow your business eventually because it simply allows you to convey your value proposition message and it's a basically a very effective way of selling without selling because no one wants to be sold people don't want to hear pitches about your company and your pricing and discounts and incentives and, and benefits and all that kind of stuff because what that does is you're really putting your company your agenda first before other people right so it goes back to the basics is put other people first before your own interest and what that does in turn would be it helps to develop that relationship from that prospect not one company but many companies and many thought leaders because that organization has a good database of many thought leaders it not only allows them to establish a relationship so they get to know you but when you develop when you deliver a significant value to other people first and foremost and not ask for anything in return that's the key that's the key is to just help and be of service add tremendous value in terms of what they really might want to think about looking out for their best interest and really identifying and really earmarking a position for yourself as being a thought leader in that respective area so that helps to give more credibility that helps for the, you to grow a following that helps to your, with your branding in terms of your company in terms of your expertise and what that does it also enables more of an engaging dialogue for a wider number of prospect clients because if you do that on social media they react to that they respond back to a post or to a youtube video they comment and saying great job or what do you think about this and they share that and what that does it becomes quite powerful because simply the people that are listening that are in, that are empowered that are inspired by your message they're sharing that and you're building their following you're building a following and they're also sharing that with their friends and their colleagues and what that does it grows branding so they become more familiar with your name and your company and indirectly when more people know about your business then what they'll do is they'll start inquiring in terms of actually being ready to be in a position to want to purchase or learn more about your product and services and so it's really the idea there one person said it well i think it was exigler said you want to dig your well before you're thirsty dig your well before you're thirsty most people in business they try to go and have meetings and they try to sell my company my product xyz is great because xyz that's trying to go for the quick close so that's good if you've already developed and you've already established that relationship and they're actually in the buying pattern and they're ready willing and able to want to purchase but if they're not you're basically establishing you want to establish that relationship you want to feed good valuable compelling information no pitch develop that relationship even further address their keys wants and interest eventually and then ultimately once you're doing that you're basically like you're planting a seed of many different trees and when those trees grow eventually there'll be a time for harvest right and that's when you can be able to deliver the value proposition in terms of offering them solutions and so that's what it does and that's actually a good part of being able to deliver content regularly to your client base or to your target client base and let that following grow if you publish say on YouTube or on Twitter or on Facebook those different channels you take the same content then you can repurpose and you can be able to publish it to different platforms out there and the beauty of doing that would be 
it's not just the fact that one person gets to hear it, but the more content that you generate into those different platforms, that the engine or the algorithm on those different social media platforms, what it does is it actually helps to generate more traffic to your content. So it allows other people to be able to see your post. And then organically, it then grows. The more content that you provide into, say, YouTube or on LinkedIn, for example, the more content you publish by keywords, by relevant information, the more tags, the more people that you invite or follow on there, the more growth and the more followers you'll be able to develop. So it becomes kind of a well-oiled machine, and that will then eventually grow more and more over time. That becomes kind of a snowball effect where it becomes very helpful because once you set the content and you just add more content, the engine on YouTube and on LinkedIn, it just attracts more followers and it gets more visibility. And that's what you want. So continue to do that and essentially invite other people to also speak as well. If you want to take a next level, is instead of just being able to have a, a unilateral speech or presentation to an audience, take it to the next level and consider perhaps hosting and inviting other people to be part of your show, your media company, your podcast, whatever that might be. And you become the host instead of speaker and allow the other party to speak about their wants, needs, and interests, about their industry, their challenge and opportunities, so on and so forth. And that can be quite a compelling way to be able to listen, to learn about the client's situation more in depth without trying to sell. And it essentially allows, if you have a guest speaker coming on board, that guest speaker is going to be able to outreach to their friends and company, etc. So then you're now growing a lot faster the followers to your channel or to your program ultimately. So you can see why people that have a tremendous following, simply the easy way to think about this is look at what the people that are successful basically emulate after what they're doing. And if you can, better yet, see how you can be able to collaborate or partner with them. But that takes a lot more time because folks that are more successful nowadays, they typically have a good following and their time's very, they're very selective of the different groups and the different opportunities that they engage in because once they have more and they make more, they're a lot more selective because they get approached a lot, right? But that just, the lesson there is to really start off by learning and adopting and following and emulating what they're doing, right? So there's notable figures out there that you, can, that you probably know about. So search and study what they do, look at their results, emulate model after them, and really see it once you get to a point when you develop notoriety into your specific area, then at some point you might get recognized or at some point you might want to reach out and see how you can be able to add value to them as well. And so a different point, that this would be maybe number eight, and I'll wrap up with this, in terms of an eight point that will tie into business, no matter what kind of business that you're in, comes down to networking and relationships and working with other people. And this is something too that I thought was so fundamental but it was lacking in the elections. And what that would be essentially is Number one, when I watch the news, no matter what channels it might be, I'm a little bit curious in terms of why there's so much opposition. It's them versus us instead of we working together in unison and really accepting differences, agreeing to disagree, things of that nature. So the approach is very different and it's very difficult to be able to understand why there's so much opposition and when we're all part of the same nation. And it just seems that it's the lesson there would be simply... I just want to go back to um, basically the fundamentals in terms of relationships and networking is one part of it as well, but it comes back to just 
interpersonal communication and relationships with other people. And one thing that I saw was that there's a lot of divide. Everyone, again, was just try, trying to impose their ways. And instead of trying to impose, really to take the time to try to develop friendships and allies, first and foremost, and try to find common ground, first and foremost. So that means to step back and instead of passing their position in terms of what they want other people to be convinced of, again, putting their agenda, instead of doing that, perhaps... Maybe just step back and say, you know, before I really just try to assert my position, why don't I really see if I can listen, learn, and adopt, and really to be able to try to gain their friendship and trust first and foremost, and then in return they can hear my position and have an open, earnest dialogue and being transparent and really saying, what can we really learn and do from working with each other? That'd be the key part there. And so... The actual practical application of what can be done is really stem from a perspective where you think about it, you think about it in terms of what can I learn from this other party, giving them the credit, giving them the compliment, helping them to achieve their goals first and foremost, and then find ways of working together. So really inviting them to say, let's really work together and not against each other and setting that precedent. And really playing a, a very good good cop role with the other party. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Just like as if you're starting from meeting with someone else, uh, someone new from the very first time. You want to start off cordial, respectful, win-win, of course, at a minimum. But more importantly, make it about themselves and give them the credit up front. Let them win first. And so let them, they can win the battle, but you want to win the war, right? So instead of making it my way or the highway, Find common ground, work so that you can basically bring out the best in each other, right? That's an effective way by far instead of working against, whether it's a broker or some other groups, instead of working against each other, working together because they both have knowledge and insight, right? And once you do that, you want to be a man of your word, meaning that you want to always under-promise and over-deliver. If you're going to say you're going to do something, call back, return emails, something of that nature, you want to make sure you do all that. That's a very, very basic part of it too. But it's very important. You want to be able to, to say what you do, do what you say, be a man of principle, and follow up and follow through. And really having keen relationships and developing and valuing, nurturing and respecting other people and those relationships, that really comes back to the fundamentals. And that's basically what it comes down to, is really finding good ways of how you can really listen, work, and effectively help that other person achieve their goals first and foremost. And then how you both might be able to win afterwards. That's a very unique perspective. I seldomly see that, but when I see that, when I actually practice that, I find that people's reaction and their attitude completely changes for the better, meaning that they're shocked. They almost go into a point where they realize this is very unusual, and they're very complimented, and they get the guards down. They, take, they get to reveal much more. They get to want to share much more, and they, they're more willing to, to yield once they know that I'm making an effort to really try to help and work with them, right? So that's a general idea. Just want to give you a heads up. Thank you.